Hi there, a quick note before we begin the episode. Did you know that Atlas Lingue has its own audiobook with exclusive and brand new material? It's called Atlas Lingue, the layers of language behind everyday life. In this audiobook, we share additional exclusive commentaries on each episode with brand new insights and examples on the subject that we can't stop thinking about, how humans translate everything that comes their way. Also remember, when you buy Ochenta's audiobooks, you're directly supporting our independent audio series productions. So find Atlas Lingue, the layers of language behind everyday life, on Libro.fm, Apple Books, Google Play, Storytel, BookBeat, and on your favorite audiobooks app. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Salut! Je parle français, anglais, espagnol. Hola, hablo español, inglés y portugués. Hi, I speak English and French. Ciao, parlo italiano e inglese. In Mexico, we use all kinds of proverbs in our everyday communication. In fact, a common thing we do when speaking is that whenever we bring up a proverb, the phrase is so well known, we only actually need to say the first half of it, because the rest of it is implied. Let's say I'm at a party and I don't have a seat at a table. Then a friend stands up and leaves, maybe to grab another drink. I then take her seat, and when she returns, I simply say, Camarón que se duerme. The full saying is, Camarón que se duerme se lo lleva la corriente, which literally means, a shrimp that falls asleep gets carried away by the current. The meaning, of course, is that if you leave something unattended, or if you react too slowly to a new opportunity, someone else might take it away from you. Naturally, I would only be joking in this scenario and immediately give the seat back to my friend, because I'm the kind of person who doesn't like conflict, but can't resist a good chance to use a proverb in a real situation. Welcome to Atlas Lingue, a show where we talk about languages, about the joyful, the challenging, and the joyfully challenging aspects of everyday communication. I'm Luis Lopez, and today we're going to talk about proverbs in translation. Today's first expert is someone who doesn't have to go out of her way to find proverbs in her everyday life. She bumps into them all the time. Katy Kaufman is a conference interpreter, a federally certified court interpreter, and a member of the International Association of Conference Interpreters. And she has particular experience in translating proverbs by politicians. 
I do remember there was a Chilean politician, Sergio Onofre Harpa, who would always keep us on our toes because he used to say, como decimos en el campo, right, as we say in the countryside. And he would come up with these references and these expressions that are used in the farming communities. And that it would be things like, you know, one turnip is worth a pound of potatoes. What does that even mean, right? Uh, and it would just be like one after another after another. It was extremely, extremely challenging. As soon as he said, como decimos en el campo, it's like deep breath. Okay, focus. All right, this is going to be a doozy. It's time to look ahead and think fast. And you're trying to imagine from context what he can come up with, right? What are we talking about? Where can this be going? What could the potential meaning be? Knowing him and his politics and his policies, what is likely to be, what can I expect him to say so that I can get some additional idea of what I might be able to come up with? So all brain cells on deck. That sounds like a lot of brain cells. We might need a bigger boat. Surely there must have been a time when a saying suddenly threw a wrench into the whole translation machine. It was a presidential summit years ago in Argentina, in Mar del Plata. And one of the speakers who was comparing and contrasting two proposals that were on the table. It was a Panamanian who was speaking. So the proposal from Argentina is como un tango, un tango triste. Let me try and guess where this is going. A sad tango. Isn't tango always passionate? I wonder what a sad tango looks like. Suggesting to this interpreter that the speaker knows nothing about tango because there is nothing but sad tangos, right? Who's ever heard of a happy tango? But he was comparing these two texts. So he said, this is a tango triste. And then he says, and this other one, this one from this proposal from Mexico, this is a jarabe tapatio. And I have to admit that I had no clue what a jarabe tapatio was. Uh-oh, guess I don't share the same background with Argentinian people, just like Caddy didn't in the case of Jarabe Tapatio. And so my solution was to quickly think, okay, what fast-paced, rapid, fun Mexican song do all English speakers know? And I said, and this other one is like a Mexican hat dance which turns out to be a jarabe tapatio. That is exactly what the speaker meant. So fortunately, fortuitous coincidence, I happened to nail it and get it absolutely right. Whoa, nice catch. But not all interpreters get so lucky. We might not even notice it when we're talking, but speech can be a minefield of all kinds of cultural references. Okay, this is highly culturally bound, what do I do with it to make it intelligible to my listener on the fly? So that's one example. The other one was a reference to uh, an author, a Spanish author by the name of Tirso de Molina, who wrote a book 
that was in English called The Trickster of Seville and Stone Guest is culturally bound. It's a reference that people use. You say comida de piedra is somebody who's been invited to a party, but you didn't really want to invite them. You were sort of forced to. It was a guest. They're invited. They're, it's like an unwanted guest. So it's an expression that's very, very common. That's an interesting point I hadn't thought of before. Proverbs are inherently tied to a culture and a time. But where do proverbs come from? Sometimes from the countryside, but often from popular culture, like books and movies. And so the person who was speaking was making reference to a person at the far end of the table and said, ¿Y ese convidado de piedra ahí al final de la mesa? So that convidado de piedra down there at the end of the table. If you say that stone guest, I mean, it's technically correct, but given the circumstances, was that going to be intelligible to the person to whom the speaker was referring? Would the person have been insulted? Because it was an insult. And so at that point, I could have just said that unwanted guest. That probably is what I should have said, but I didn't. I went with the guy at the end of the table, you know, like Siti Poti in that movie about who's coming to dinner. But that's a reference from a movie, not a book. Is that allowed? Did it work? Nice thing was we were on site, of course, and I was able to see the expression of the person who heard it, chuckled, grinned, kind of went like this sheepishly, like, yeah, that's me. Success. So when translating cultural references, the medium doesn't always matter. Whether it's from a book or a movie, just that the meaning gets across. And culture-specific meaning can come from a lot of different places. But wait a minute, we've been talking a lot about proverbs this, proverbs that, but we've learned that culture-specific sayings can come in many different shapes, and from many different sources. So let's go back a bit. What exactly is a proverb? Proverbs are kind of didactic, and sayings are more like observations of something. This is Andres Weisbergs. He's a professor at the University of Latvia and a lexicographer in his spare time. We'll hear more from him later, but for now he's going to take us into the proverbial past to learn about what these colorful expressions really mean. Let's say a prototype proverb would be, for example, when in Rome, do as the Romans do. And the prototype saying would be, accidents happen, birds of feather flock together, that kind of thing. It's a bit more like, it doesn't directly tell you, it's more like an observation of something. Both are educative, both tell you something that people have thought about, how things happen in life and how you should behave, etc., etc. Proverbs and sayings are very often put into the category of idioms or idiomatic language. But sometimes proverbs are not really idiomatic. For example, in Rome, do as the Romans do. There's nothing idiomatic about it. There is a generalization behind it, because it's not only about Rome and Romans. It basically says, when they act as the locals, that kind of thing. But there's nothing really idiomatic about it. And here's Katy, our court interpreter, again. 
It is very hard to prepare. Again, in the case of this Chilean politician, we all knew that he spoke this way. And so I would go back and read recent interviews that he'd given in the press because I figured those topics might come up again and he might use those folksy, same folksy expressions. And sometimes he did. And I also had a little glossary that I used just for his expression. So anytime he said one of these things, I would write it down. And whether I had come up with something good or not, I would keep a list. I'd be interested in getting my hands on a copy of that dictionary, as they say in the countryside. At some point it was in hard copy and I lost it in a move, which is tragic, right? Oh, no, it's fine. It's fine, really. <sighs> so, what can we do without totally cool glossaries on super specific rural Chilean proverbs? How is it possible to keep track of all the things an interpreter needs to know? The human brain is absolutely fascinating in the way that it processes memory. Just by hearing something, the brain triggers a memory thought process. And so literally your hard drive is, you know, that the wheel of death or what do they, they call it in Mac beach balling? right? The little ball that's going around and around. And so your brain starts to do this. And if you're lucky, bam, it will come. If you're not, come up with something quickly. That right there even sounds like an idiom for the digital age. That spinning ball when your computer gets stuck. For Mac users, the ball is rainbow. And so the beach ball of death is born. It's probably a stretch to call owning a Mac a culture, but it's an example of a phrase that comes from a specific experience. In this case, a time of peak Mac ownership, a reference you wouldn't get otherwise. There are footnotes, of course. When you're doing a written translation, right, and you come across something that could have multiple meanings, interpreters don't have that. And then there are the proverbs that are based on other proverbs, like bucket list. In fact, there's plenty of proverbs for death in most languages. There's kick the calendar in Polish, to leave one's teeth in Hungarian, and dream the eternal dream in Spanish. And lots of languages talk about flowers or grass, like bite the grass in German, or eat dandelions by the roots in French. Criar malvas, or growing daisies, for example, is almost exactly the same as pushing daisies in English. Here's Andres again. There's a very huge international layer of proverbs, which again is rather easy to translate because you can find something. Well, that sure makes things a lot simpler. Just find the equivalent and you're good to go. Easy peasy, right? Maybe not. And it turns out that after some time, you can't do anything with it because what you have chosen, the variant, it does not allow to do the same things. So you are in a sort of very tight corner. I had a feeling it was too good to be true. But what's the worst that could happen if you do pick the wrong proverb? It might not make any sense, and it can be very embarrassing. So proverbs with God and devil are not what you would expect in the Christian nations. 
The devil and the God in Latvian Proverbs is not the Christian God and the Christian devil. The devil is funny, interesting, kind of a bit nasty occasionally, but really a funny guy. And the God is also sort of easygoing. You know, this actually isn't too different from the way we popularly refer to the devil throughout Latin America. For example, we have a saying that goes, Más sabe el diablo por viejo que por diablo. Or, the devil is smart because he's old, more than because he's the devil. (laughs) So, in the Proverbs, you very often have this kind of Latvian God and Latvian devil. So, translating that into a language in which God and devil are very serious is a problem because uh, it's not the same. Very religious people might take it very badly. So, a lot can change in translation. And the stakes can be pretty high. As high as the stakes in the battle between good and evil. Proverbs are old sayings by definition. So it's no surprise that most people who use them are older. In fact, proverbs and other sayings often have to be translated within the same language, just to a younger audience. And this brings me to a favorite example of mine, the phrase, Ya me cayó el veinte. The literal translation doesn't really make any sense. It means, the twenty just dropped. But it comes from the time where making a call on a payphone cost twenty cents. So you would drop a twenty cent coin in the slot, and if you couldn't hear the person on the other side, It was because the 20 hadn't dropped yet, perhaps because it got stuck. Only when it had finally dropped could you then talk to the other person. Over time, as payphones evolved and eventually became obsolete, the phrase me cayó el 20 simply grew to mean that you had a realization, that you finally understood something. But anyway, all this to say that translating proverbs and idioms has so many variables. The original and target language, the specific context, and the age range of your audience. But this can also offer a wide range of possibilities. Therefore, coming up with something that sounds totally original in the target language sort of misses the point. Sometimes is some sense or logic, and it's relatively transparent then the proverb can be translated word for word, and it comes out quite good occasionally. So maybe, instead of hearing the same old cliché in your own language, you can try learning something new about the history of another. Mentions a wolf and the wolf will be there. I think in English you have something about the devil about that. In Latvian we have the wolf. Speak of the devil, we do indeed. And it's always fascinating to discover the recurrent characters from myths and legends in different cultures. Puerto Rico, for example, has Juan Bobo, a boy from the island's folk tales whose actions seem clumsy at first, but who, by those same actions, ends up inadvertently helping those around him. He is such a well-known character that any mention of him, at least to a Puerto Rican audience, will inevitably bring his story to mind. By the way, you can learn more about Juan Bobo by listening to the episode The Wise Fool from our fiction show Cultureverse, an anthology of stories inspired by myths and legends from around the world. 
So then, as we've learned, some basic stories repeat themselves across all cultures. So naturally, proverbs in other languages aren't always so different after all. In English, you have the bird in hand is worth two in the bush. You can find this idea in this structure practically in all languages, but you have different objects. So in Latvian, it is an aken in hand is worth a bird in the tree, which is pretty close to German, which and the, the German is a sparrow in hand is worth a dove in the tree and so on. You have the same structure. So I think in some contexts, in some situations, just for the fun of it, you can leave the, the aken or the sparrow because everybody would understand what it means. And uh, it might give you a bit of feeling about how, how the Latvian folklore works and what kind of things you, you mention. While we're on the topic of folklore, I'm sure we've all read or heard many phrases labeled as Chinese proverb. You might have even read one after opening a fortune cookie. And there are expressions like, a journey of a thousand miles begins with a single step. Good medicine tastes bitter. Or a sharp tongue or pen can kill without a knife. Sometimes people use as Chinese a wisdom say, and they just hold it um, a false one or they just created one, but that's not actually related to any Chinese proverb. This is Le Qi Zhong, a journalist who has worked for several media outlets in China and a student at UC Berkeley Graduate School of Journalism. She also contributed to our show Cultureverse as a Cantonese to English translator for the episode The Water Dragon, which tells a Chinese folktale. I'm trying to think in an example that's not followed by young generation, but actually the first thing that comes to my mind is that um, but this is kind of a good one. It tells people that if you're working hard enough, then there's no difficulty you can't solve. So that's a good one. But this is a common one that parents use to encourage their kids. Sometimes when the elderly trying to teach the young generation something or they're trying to make a point, then they use the proverb. Sometimes about the old wisdom, the elderly were more likely to use them because now the culture change and our lives change. So sometimes the young generation don't follow those old wisdom. So they just say, oh, this is what our grandparents told us. This is what our ancestor told us. So um, we think that's right. It's nice to see that this is a universal phenomenon. The older generations lecturing the youth with proverbs and the youth accusing them of being out of touch, until they grow up and finally understand, rinse and repeat. Young generation don't want to follow their parents' advice. I think it's even more fascinating to delve into a kind of proverb that is uniquely ingrained in Chinese culture. And at this point of the episode, I think it's worth considering that proverbs and idioms do not only differ across languages and content, they can differ drastically in form, too. And that can be particularly challenging for translators. For example, I've heard that there's a type of proverb in Chinese which is always exactly four characters long and is notoriously difficult to translate. Chinese is 
one of the many types of Chinese idioms. Literally, it means uh, ready-made phrases or set phrases. Um, and they're used by regular speakers on a regular basis. It's not something that is uncommon. And mostly they contain four characters, so four syllables set. And they are often uh, semantically opaque. It means that if you look at each character and you combine them together, the meaning that you get is not exactly what it means. So you cannot calculate the meaning by simply translating the Chengyu word by word. This is Joanna Seo, a linguist from Hong Kong who now works at Palatsky University in the Czech Republic. Yeah, i give you an example. So uh, there is... Um, there is a Chengyu called Wo Xin Chang Dan. It means that uh, lie on the firewood and taste the gallbladder. Uh, so if you translate it like that word for word, it's unclear what it means because it has got a backstory. The backstory is such that uh, during the spring and autumn period, which is around 700 to 400 uh, BC, there was a king of Yue and uh, he was taken uh, captive by another kingdom. And he was kept as a servant and had to serve the other king for three years and he had suffered a lot. And after he went back to his own kingdom, he had decided he couldn't let himself forget the humiliation and the suffering. So that would motivate him to work harder. So at some point he can attack the other country that has captivated him. So uh, he decided he would not live a very comfortable life. He's gonna uh, sleep on the firewood and every day he would taste a little bit of gallbladder because it's bitter. That means that you are gonna suffer a lot now because you want to achieve something later or to nurse a vengeance or something. So this is not something that you can get from, from just the literal meaning of the characters. So the meaning of the Cheng Yu is kind of like a movie reference, except one that's thousands of years old. They normally also have a very fixed structure, but you cannot really flip things around or you cannot paraphrase the meaning and you cannot add things to it. So it's kind of frozen, so an idiom. And they mainly form stories from ancient times, can be fables, can be legends or histories or from literary works. Not only is the content of the proverb very specific, but the form is too. This can be very daunting for non-native speakers, but I can also see how this would make it easier for people to remember the stories told and pass them on through generations. Not only do you have a ready-made phrase to express what you want to say, but you have a piece of cultural history to go along with it. I have a few favorite. There was uh, one Chengyu called uh, Chengyu Luo uh, Yan. So literally it means uh, sink uh, the fish and make the wild geese fall. Uh, and it is used uh, to describe beautiful women. In Chinese history, there are four well-known beauties. One of them is the Si Shi and uh, the myth is that when she was washing her clothes in the river, the fish saw her face and they were so shocked that she was so beautiful. They all went deep into the water. So that's a sink the fish. 
And uh, the other beauty is called uh, Zhao Jun. And she was on her way to be married off to the enemy barbarian territory as a gift. And uh, on the way there, there were some wild geese flying about and they were so mesmerized by her beauty. They forgot to flap their wings and fell. So basically beauty is kind of like a superpower or some kind of biological weapon. Huh, that sounds familiar. Like the English idiom, drop dead gorgeous. Although in the English version, we've lost the history of what exactly dropped dead first. I guess, despite all of our cultural differences, being stunned by beauty is one of those common human experiences. That makes me think, would using these equivalents be a good way of translating Cheng Yu then? It's very hard to translate idioms, and um, there, are, there are several possibilities. An idiom would have a very close equivalent in the language you translate to, then that would be okay. So there would be a, there is an idiom called uh, basically mean one arrow and two eagles. So that's kind of like kill two birds with one stone. So if you have that, then, then it's not so difficult. But in cases like early on about sleeping on the firewood and tasting the gallbladder, that wouldn't have an equivalent. Then in that case, you have to paraphrase. So you can do both. But when you paraphrase, of course, you will be losing some of the meaning because so earlier, the idiom of lying on a firewood or tasting a gallbladder is not just mean you're working very, very hard and suffer a lot so then you can achieve some future goal, right? So the story also includes all the humiliation of the king and there's a lot of background and cultural understanding that would be missing if you only uh, paraphrase it. Right. There are always sacrifices to be made. In translation, you can't have your cake and eat it too. Especially with proverbs, it seems, where there is so much cultural richness involved that can be lost. Yu that are used in modern day Chinese now, they can be traced back to thousands of years ago. You have to understand the Chinese culture and some of the values. For instance, some Chang uh, Yu Canton characters that are no longer used in nowadays, uh, they're kind of frozen. So they might have meant something in classical Chinese, but we don't really use that word anymore. But somehow the meaning is preserved in the phrase. What I'm hearing is this proverbial cake is kind of like an ice cream cake. Except instead of Rocky Road or cookies and cream, there's thousands of years of linguistic history frozen inside, full of myths and legendary characters and words that don't exist in common use anymore. And you might not always notice them, but they're definitely there. Some things are too complicated to express in simple words. Some things may be simple in one language, while in another, they feel like a new thought. But whatever language we speak, it's clear that this need to express ourselves and the world around us in this way is common to almost all languages. And using the same old turns of phrase reminds us that these feelings have been shared by human beings for centuries, even millennia. That at the end of the day, wherever we are, or whatever time period we're in, there are experiences that we'll always have in common. And while expressing those experiences in a new way can be something magic, there's nothing wrong with being a little cliché once in a while. After all, as a wise man once said, if it ain't broke, don't fix it.
Thank you for listening to Atlas Lingue. If you're new to the series, catch up with our previous episodes. I'm Luis Lopez, and it has been a pleasure to accompany you on this journey. Special thanks to our guests Katy Kaufman, Andres Weisbergs, Le Chi Jong, and Joanna Sio. Production and theme by Studio Ochenta. Sound design by Chiara Santella. Senior producer, Glitzia Sala. Assistant producers, Haley Choi, Leo Ibanez, Leia Zipstein, and Clark Marchese. For more information on Atlas Lingue, a Studio Ochenta original series and podcast, visit ochentastudio.com. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Ochenta Podcasts. Our podcast is available on CastBox, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, it's Luis here, and I want to tell you about a show we've been listening to called The Pulso Podcast. There are a lot of podcasts that cover Latino culture and news, but this is one of the first we've heard that really utilizes the throughline of history to provide more context and nuance to our stories. From the halls of Congress to the stages of Broadway, even the food we consider to be American, Latinos helped build this country. And we're not going anywhere. Yet most podcasts are still lacking Latino representation behind and in front of the mic. The Pulso Podcast is a Latina-hosted, Latina-produced show that explores untold stories and unheard voices shaping the experiences of nuestra gente. They've covered topics from beauty standards and gender equality to mental health and food origins. And did you know that there is an official Spanish version of the Star Spangled Banner? Or that a team of Mexican lawyers changed the future of segregation laws in the 50s? To hear more, check out the Pulso podcast on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.